Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Unnecessary Noise. I am your host, TJ Tullock, and this is episode 86 of Unnecessary Noise. A little redundant, I know. Hopefully, we will not be 86ing this episode. Episode? Did I say that? Was that a Freudian slip because of Expo 86, which I went to when I was one year old? Yes, I was born in 1985, and Expo 86 happened in 1986. So, <laughs> so this Expo-sode. Expo? Expo-sode. Episode. I was trying to be funny. Didn't work out. It happens. But, you know, the 86 is a weird word. It's a weird, not a weird word. It's, a, it's an odd number that we have um, somehow adopted into uh, nixing something or, like, you know, cutting it. You know, you 86 something, you cut it. It's no more. In fact, 86ing the, Miri, the Merriam-Webster's term. Let me see what I can say. Definition. We're going to look this up. What does 86ing mean? To throw out, to get rid of, or to refuse service to. I didn't know about the uh, refuse service to. Apparently it comes from 1930s soda counter slang, meaning that an item was sold out. But does it? Is that the truth? Um, Merriam-Webster says that, but there is also a um, mystery surrounding 86 and why why 86 why didn't we say 73 well we're gonna go uh 73 and 86 does have a nice little pep to it right ah we're gonna 86 something you know so i started asking myself this question i thought was there a story uh at the bottom of this urban myth and clearly i was not the only one that has asked this question because uh, stlouismag.com also asked this question. They asked George, I guess George um, Mahi? Mahi, I think that is the name, correct way to pronounce this. Um, asked, where did 86ing come from? And no, it is not the same as a 69 or a 7. But you know, it just don't. Don't even go there. 86 86 I keep saying 86ing <laughs> when you 86 something from a menu anyways you get the idea um <laughs> where was I going with this uh no so when I said the term 86 when something is 86 from the menu the first one was apparently the first urban myth this guy uncovered basically he looked through a bunch of potential stories i don't think he found one in particular um but there are a bunch of interesting little anecdotal stories that i thought i would share with you about the number 86. so why was something 86? uh one of the first ones was it was the standard height of a door uh, or a door frame, which is eight feet, six inches. And when an obnoxious guest was shown the door, he was 86th. Another story? Oh, you think that's the right one? Well, another one is, the rumor has it, legend has it, as Run the Jewels would say, 
Uh, it took 86 ladles to empty a pot of soup on an army mess line. After the number of ladles, the soup was 86. Interesting. Um, <laughs> you know, so full disclosure, this is not the first time I've done a run-through on this podcast, which you'd be surprised at, or this, this particular episode, which I'm sure you're surprised at due to the uh, amount of stuttering that I, that I sometimes do, rambling, laughing, loss of train of thought. Um, when I first read this, I saw, I didn't see ladles, <laughs> I said laddies, and um, yeah, I can't read. I think <laughs> it took 86, <laughs> I just imagined a group of uh, Scottish Highlanders, you know, gathered around a soup pot, and it took 86 laddies to empty a pot of soup on the mess line of the army back in World War One. That's right. I <laughs> worst worst Scottish accent ever. Um yeah, so that but no, it was ladles. That is the first soup pot reference of something getting eighty sixth. Again, we've heard eighty sixth. I it, you want it to ring true. I don't think it does. I don't think the door one rings true because the most of the time when you hear something has been eighty sixth, it's like Gordon Ramsay, um, Waving his hand, going, we've got to 86 it, right? Like, so, let's see. There's another soup pot reference. This term originated in soup kitchens of the Great Depression, where the standard pot had 85 cups of soup. Very derivative of the soup ladles or laddies side of the story. Um, there's another one. Um, a term, uh, it was... The 86 actually a term uh, was another military term. It was a reference to the F-86 fighter jet um, that was that during the Korean uh, War when an F-86 was shot down. Or, sorry, correction. My bad. When an F-86 shot down an enemy plane, it was 86 so the plane, the enemy plane that was shot down was 86. I don't think that one works. I, I don't. I'm sure it works. I don't think it's how it came a bit came to pass. Um, also, kind of interesting though. Like you see how this. I find this fascinating though, because you know when we talk about joke stealing, and again, you know, in the today's world, like you know how when. When we see comedians, I, I'm using uh, stand-up comedy. When we see stand-up comedians, you know, they'll say that somebody stole their idea. Somebody is blatantly joke stealing. Is it joke stealing? Is it um, is it collaborative? Is it just like uh, parallel thinking? Um, and is it just a random coincidence? Because all of these seem like random coincidences that just landed on the number eighty-six. Um, this is another weird one. United States also has a uniform code of military justice that has an Article 86, absence without leave, a.k.a. AWOL, when something is no longer, which could have translated to something no longer being on the menu, a.k.a. Uh, it was absent, a.k.a. it was 86. But that doesn't, that, that means, that doesn't mean, um, I feel like AWOL means that thing left of its own accord. I don't know how that would necessarily translate into the supper or dinner. That's why I said supper. 
<laughs> People go out for supper. Seems like a very classy, classy, only classy people go out for supper. I mean, no, they go out for dinner. I've never heard, I've never heard a classy person say they go out for supper. Um, <laughs> uh, the term was also de derived from uh, military shorthand. Rotary phones had a T on the 8 key and an O on the 6 key. So throw out something was to 86 it, brackets T-O. Um, okay. This was a weird one, too. Again, I find this all very fascinating. This guy, uh, George Mayhe, did some great research on this. I, I love this. Uh, find this one. This one was kind of cool. Old West bartender's term. Um, back, in the, back in the day, alcohol was 100 proof. And when a patron would get too drunk, the barkeep would serve him a less potent 86 proof liquor, thereby 86ing him. Uh, the term may have come from Old 86, a popular shaving powder in the old days. A pinch of that in a rowdy cowboy's drink apparently would have him heading for the door. So he would yak. I, I See, I, I don't know. I don't buy the second part. or I, I, I like the idea. Again, don't necessarily know if I buy it. Um, simply because if you're putting something in a cowboy's drink or in anybody's drink that is that is drunk uh, and when with the hopes of getting them to throw up um you know if you're drunk you're going to throw up in wherever like depending on who you are do you really want to risk if you're a bartender do you really want to risk someone hurling all over the floor like we've all known uh people Maybe some of us have been these people, no comment, that have had too much, lost their cookies in places they shouldn't have, um, and, uh, you know, just could not hold it in until they made it to the toilet. That's, that's a risk you are taking if you are feeding them old 86, or her, or they, you know, I, I don't, I don't buy that one. Um, there was, this was another one that's, that kind of flash forwards to the thirties, a speakeasy bar during prohibition, eight, 86 Bedford street in Greenwich built, uh, Greenwich village called Chumley's with no address on the door and several hidden exits. When the heat showed up, guests were known to 86 it or remove themselves from the premises immediately. <laughs> I had to read that like a old timey news person. There was a speakeasy bar at 86 Bedford Street in Greenwich Village called Chumley's. Heading over to Chumley's, son. Yes, the heat are going to show up. Elliot Ness and the Untouchables. Yes. <laughs> Clients were 86 86 themselves. Eh. No, because again, I still think it has more of a food thing. Food connotation. When I think of 86 and I don't think of people leaving. Like, I think it's just people getting cut. You know? In the days before a safety fence was installed on the observation deck of the Empire State Building, people would commit suicide from by jumping from it. The deck was on the 86th floor. Well, that's creepy. That is that true? It is I that that one that one if that one's true, that's that, that's creepy. Just the fact that, you know, the 
86. Again, weird coincidences all leading to the phrase 86th. Maybe these are all true. I don't know. 86th is a very weird term. Um, but it does mean to, like, you know, cut, remove. Um, what does it Merriam-Webster says? To throw up, throw out, not throw <laughs> To throw out, to get rid of, not to throw up. Unless you're using old 86. Although they didn't specifically say throw up in the article. Um, it just said they had patrons heading for the door. So maybe they would just, maybe it would just go out the other way. I don't know. Um... One of the other, one of the elevated trains. Okay, so let's see. What is this? What's the next one? Um, apparently, there was a New York Code 86 that made it a crime for bartenders to serve drunken patrons. Bartenders would tell such patrons that, sorry, they'd been 86 Possibly. That means they'd been cut off. Again, not necessarily referring to the menu side of things. Um, once it, like it, but also, very plausible... One of the elevated trains in New York terminated at the 86th Street, at which point the conductor would toss any drunks who had passed out on board off the train. The conductors began to calling them 86s. Okay. So clearly there's, there's clearly something with alcohol um, traditionally. And it sounds like it did emanate from New York. Most of these, most of these uh, stories are coming out of New York. So this is a New York phrase, but it's funny because I've heard it from a British, is it, or Scottish. Is Ramsey Scottish? I feel like he's Scottish. Um, yeah, he's a, a Scottish chef. That was the first time I'd heard it. 86, yeah? Right? Um, let's see, what else do we got? This is, a, I, this is a great article. Look it up. I'll post it in the link when I post this episode. Um... Some say it started in the 86th police uh, precinct of the NYC police department. Supposedly, when officers in other precincts made repeated mistakes, the, the threat of being sent out to the mean and short-handed 86th was enough to make them, make them straighten out. Straighten up? Straighten out. Straighten out. It says straighten up, but I think I can say straighten out, too. Is it straighten up and fly right? Straighten out? I don't know. Sort out. Straighten up. You get the idea. Others say it originated at Delmonico's restaurant in New York City. Again, another New York thing. Number 86 on the menu was a steak, the most popular item on the menu, and one that often sold out. The term morphed into shorthand for being out of any item. That makes sense. That, to me, makes sense. I like that one. Um, I think, and I think that's, if we're talking about as far as food terms, that's that's the one, that's the one I buy. Delmonico's restaurant in New York City, um, or this was a good. This one's a good one though too. I, I this one I I don't think it's how eighty sixth um, came about, but it could be just in another uh, term, another industry. This is is a filmmaker's term. Light filters are categorized by number. The darkest filter being an 85 uh, the mythical 86 filter would therefore be totally dark and completely negate the image being photographed 86 it so it would be completely black which again I feel like the age of this term does not 
you know, and where we are in photography, does that coalesce? Were they really using um, that many number of gels back in like the 30s? If we're saying it, it's an old West term, but you see how just several different possibilities could originate this term 86th. It's wild. Um, there are those who claim the term refers to 86 inches, the standard depth of a grave in the U.S. So to 86 something is to bury it. That is a dark, morbid. Um, wow. Okay. That just that that took a turn. I don't think is it. Is it six feet? I thought it was six feet under. And that's 72. Um, I'm not sure. Is it 86? Wait. How many inches is six feet? I don't know. 24. I can't remember. I thought it was 72, though. I thought six times 12. Is, am I wrong? Uh, now I'm now I'm actually curious because I can't remember. Uh, let's do it. Let's go calculator. This is terrible. I'm an arts major. Okay, so, like, give me a break. Six times 12. 72. Yeah, I was right. I knew it. Um, <laughs> it. It had me judging myself for a second. But no, it's I thought the I thought the standard depth was uh, six feet. You always hear about six feet under six feet deep. Um, it's I'm gonna bury you six feet under the ground. son. Yeah, no, I don't think that's that's the standard depth of a grave in the US. No, that one. I think we can rule out. Uh, perhaps it's a holdover from the days when news was delivered via teletype to expedite this process. Numbers were used for common actions. A 30 indicated a completed story. For example, apparently when a story item was sent in error or should be discarded, the number 86 was used. Who knows? Um, but yeah, these is, it's, it's phenomenally interesting. Uh, another series says the term was... Originated by number codes used by soda jerks. 86 was the code indicating they were out of an item. Okay, that's derivative of uh, Delmonico's story. And then explanations even stretch as far as the electrical industry where devices had numbers. A 27 was an undervoltage relay. 43 was a selector switch. And an 86 was a trip and lockout device. So an operation means the affected piece of equipment was out of service. Okay, so there are, again, there are so many different uses of the term 86. And I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't planning on making this a special episode about the number 86. I definitely am not going to, there's, I'm not going to do one on 87, but why, why the number 86? It is, it is just, it does seem like a, like for some reason, it's a pleasing number to look at. When I think about that number, I don't know why some numbers just trigger colors in my brain, and I think baby blue. <laughs> Maybe that's because I was like a little kid, and my parents dressed me in blue. Who knows? And I was I was a kid in the '80s, had a lot of sky blue around me. You know, I was a Blue Jays fan, baby baby Blue Jays. But yeah, that's uh, that's what I think about when I think of uh, yeah the '86. And then there's Expo 86, so it works out. Um, but yeah, great article, fascinating read. 86, who, know, who knew that term had that much rich history? 
and potential rich history. Which one is your favorite? Steve. Yeah. Comment below or send me a tweet at TJ Talk. Well, moving on. I like the spirit. I, you know what? I will say this was a great article written by uh, George Mayhe. And uh, it was for St. Louis Mag. And the St. Louis, I have never been to St. Louis. But I have often thought about going there. In 1998, I was a big fan. I thought Mark McGuire, um, favorite baseball player. Probably still, I, I, as much as, you know, I don't want to admit it, I probably still to this day. You know, even with the steroid scandal, seeing him hit bombs back in the day. Kelly Gruber's pretty up there, too, and Joe Carter. Okay, I, I, Joe Carter first, Mark McGuire second. Joe Carter, greatest home run of all time ever, uh, especially being a Canadian. Walk-off home run to win the World Series. Come on, doesn't get any better than that. Um, Mark McGuire hit, hit the most in the season at that time. Broke Roger Maris's record. Yes, he did it while juicing, but they were monster bombs, and it was fun to watch him because he kind of looked like he looked like Hulk Hogan, basically, and uh, was just raking uh, <laughs> homers. But yeah, St. Louis is home to many different things. That's why I've always wanted to travel there. Um, uh, they were, you know, it was home to uh, uh, what was it? Isn't it Mark Twain was there? And then uh, there's uh, the spirit of St. Louis which was a plane uh, flown by Charles Lindbergh uh, from New York to Paris. Kind of like the Great Race. And speaking of planes, <laughs> this is my segue. I thought, here's how sad that segue is. Um, there was a story <laughs> about an AirAsia flight that was diverted after passengers spotted a snake on their plane. Yes, that was the worst segue uh, to this story ever. And the fact that I had kind of tried to uh, write something for that makes it that much worse. Like, it doesn't make it better. I thought, okay, you know what? Maybe we can plan this out. No, it's brutal. But again, coming off of uh, this is out of NPR, written by Sharon uh, Pruitt Young. Um, there was uh, passengers on an AirAsia flight had their trip rerouted after spotting an uninvited passenger on the plane in a video shared on TikTok, of course, of course on TikTok, by user EDL8808. Uh, what appears to be a long snake can be s seen slithering, uh, got me with the S's, through an overhead light fixture. Fixture. In the caption, the user wrote that the flight, which had been headed from uh, the Malaysian capital city of Kuala Lumpur uh, to Tawau, Tau, Tawau, I'm not going to even, <laughs> I have not left North America, clearly, had instead had to make an emergency landing in Kuching, uh, did I say that, Kuching, according to a translation of the text, I should get better at pronouncing capital cities, um, thank goodness I'm not a rock star. AirAsia did not immediately respond to the request uh, for comment from NPR, um, but they did release a statement, which is kind of awesome. Uh, AirAsia is aware of this incident that occurred on the flight from Kuala Lumpur to uh, Tawau on Thursday, 
They only say it once. I said that like three times. I'm paraphrasing right now. Um, as soon as the captain was notified, the plane was diverted to Kaching to be disinfected, he said. Disinfected. So I'm imagining like, you know, maintenance came up there uh, with a spray bottle. Like, are we spritzing with Lysol? Snakes hate Lysol. Disinfected. That's I, Something got lost in translation there, I'm sure. It was disinfected. Don't worry, it was disinfected. Well, I don't know if the snake had any disease. Like, do we just defang the snake? I don't know. Real life snakes on a plane. Um, passengers were able to continue their journey uh, that same day. Um, yeah, that that is that is terrifying. Um, but apparently. Uh, There's another statement released where it said, uh, this is a very rare incident uh, which can can occur on any aircraft from time to time. Um, This video obviously has been seen more than two million times, okay? But here's my thing. It can occur from time to time. And I think they talk about later on in the article that it has happened before. How do these snakes get on these planes? You know, I, I saw how they did in the Sam Jackson movie, and even then I can't remember because it's been a while. Um, but it's got to be through someone else's luggage. I don't imagine they're coming in on the wheel well, right? You just imagine they're just lying on the runway. Wheel almost runs them over. Maybe in the hangar. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I just can't see... These mother effing snakes on these mother effing planes. Um, that's it. I can't do it as good as Sam Jackson. What can I say? Um, but yeah. So we. So it's not the first time it's found their way on a pla- passenger flights. Flights apparently in 2019, a woman traveling home to Scotland from Australia encountered a nasty surprise when she went to unpack and found a snake curled up in her luggage. There was even an occasion where a pilot had to conduct an emergency landing after finding a snake in the in the cockpit. Well, who's putting these snakes on these planes? How how are they getting on these planes? There's got to be foul play. Like that sounds like a Bond villain. I'm thinking Doctor No. When they, they <laughs> you remember the Doctor No, the first scene where they put the spider in there. Just out of nowhere. That was a thing. That was a trope in like the late 50s, early 60s too. Because they did that in a couple Hammer horror films. I think it was uh, Hound of Baskervilles. Out of nowhere. It's this giant tarantula crawling up uh, somebody's shoulder. (laughs) Don't move. The poison is quite venomous. Yeah. (laughs) It just... Poison is quite venomous. The venom is quite poisonous. Wait, stop, switch that, like Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder. Um, but yeah, that is a scary thing. Um, it, it does sound like there's, you would have your own personal uh, supervillain after you. I will say, like, the snake, the appearance of the snake, the silhouette, is completely terrifying. It looks like something out of a horror movie that you would see, you know, just because you don't actually see the snake. Like, a, it's a low-budget horror movie. You know, one where you, when there's finally a snake reveal, 
um, it's very badly CGI'd or clearly a puppet because it's right now it's just it's just behind the light and you just see the silhouette because I also thought like snakes don't snakes like dark dank places why would it be so close to the light where it can dry out I don't know guess it had to get to point A to point from point A to point B felt a little decompressed I guess when I guess obviously when things start rattling you start freaking out um yeah that is that is a uh whew, I don't know I'm sure there's some weird stories uh, I'm flying's still apparently the safest way to travel I think it would be wouldn't it be easier for a snake to get into your car? What did they ever say what type of snake it was? They don't I don't think they say in the in the article. Imagine all that and it's just like some gardener snake. Eh. Or just not even it's just like a tube. Actually that'd be worse. I I don't know, a snake a snake coming uh, slithering around in like a light compartment scares me a lot less than just an excess tube that's just kind of fallen off. Yeah, no. No 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 rubber hoses. Eh no. Uh, let's hope it's a snake, you know, or at least if it's a rubber hose, then it's not important. Anyway, moving on, moving <laughs> on. Oh, I don't know if I'd be scared of of snakes. Anyways, don't they eat fruit? Like, isn't that in the most? Don't most snakes eat fruit, or is that just like bats and piranhas? It doesn't really matter, because speaking of fruit, yes, I have the worst segues. In fact, that's what I'm thinking about changing this podcast to, worst segues ever. Uh, Guinness declares massive Israeli strawberry as the world's heaviest strawberry. It's the world's heaviest. I was reading an article from HuffPost, um, so as world's heaviest, and it just drops. Um, why couldn't you... Why can't you just say like I could rewrite that title? Um, uh, world's uh, Guinness declares um, I don't know something. The world's heaviest strawberry. That's it. Um, yeah, ten point nine ounce. Whatever. I could I could do it. I could do it. It just seems like it cuts off pretty fast. Uh, the ten point nineteen ounce strawberry was picked by uh, Chahi Ariel's farm last February. And he's been keeping it in the freezer until the record was confirmed. So, did he weigh it when it was picked? Um, after a year-long jam, the, uh, the mammoth Israeli strawberry is entering the record books. Um, uh, let me see. This is Associated Press. Uh, Kadima Zoran reporting. I will give shout-outs to these people that are doing the research that... I am too lazy to do. Or just don't have the resources to. I would love to fly all over. Um, yeah, they kept it in the freezer all year. Um, I don't know. They said it was picked um, on the family farm uh, in central Israel in 2021. But Guinness only confirmed it this week. So here's my question. Apparently it was more than half a pound. The thing is, looks disgusting now. The guy's holding a picture of it. Just looks like it was flattened um, and pressed in a book, like you'd press a dried flower. Um, but it's also got like massive freezer burn. It's still pretty big, 
do you, in this case, if you are this guy, like, if you're Guinness, are you, like, are you, are you, um, weighing it at the time it's picked or the time that it's, uh, that it's coming out of the freezer? Like, you're like, ah, oh, we don't have time to send somebody over there to verify this. But here's the deal. You know, I, and I, I mean, at this point, does it really matter? Sure, just give it to him. The only person it's going to matter to is uh, the buddy in uh, Fukuoka, Fu, uh, uh, Fukuoka um, that, uh, that had the previous one. Uh, the previous record, which tipped the scales at 250 grams, 8.8 ounces. So, that is the only person that cares about this. It's just, which to be fair, you know, I guess they got to do their due diligence. <laughs> but at this point, like, okay, you know, hang on, we got to send somebody out. This is this is official. Um, yeah, the supersized strawberry is local variety uh, called Elan that tends to grow to a hefty size. Uh, it said uh, Ariel said the record-setting specimen has shrunk about half the size it was a year before. So again, did they weigh it? I I don't know. Did they weigh it now, or did they weigh it uh, when when they were back in the day? I don't know. It's weird. Uh, it's it's and like, does it weigh more because it's dense? Or, but it's it's also very dry now, and there's definitely some fungus on there. Like you're looking, I'm looking across between freezer burn fungus. What a waste! You know, at least James ate the giant peach, right? Didn't they eat it to the core after uh, flying it away from Spiker and Sponge? Great movie, by the way. Super underrated. You know, I guess it didn't do as well because I guess people were let down because it wasn't the Nightmare Before Elm Street. Nightmare Before Elm Street. Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Nightmare Before Elm Street. People were disappointed. They went in for a slasher horror film and. <laughs> Found a an adorable comedy, an adorable uh, coming of age adventure film, fantasy film by Roll Dahl. I mean, some of those Spiker and Sponge, to be fair, are pretty terrifying. I digress. And, and yeah, how does this work? And why did we um, accept? Why do we accept that uh, Guinness is the de facto? Um, arbiter of records. What what is the correlation between beer and records? Like, is it just the fact that we can drink the most beer? Who can drink the most beer? When did why did we give them the authority? Is it just some nerd, some accountant that's just a really big fan of Ripley's, believe it or not, just started keeping records. Hey, hello. <laughs> Finally, like, you know, good old uh, Angus Guinness. I don't know what his real name was. Decided, hey, my man, you should put all these down in a book. <laughs> this is the worst Irish accent. I have I have the worst um, European accents. I, you should put all these down in a book, my friend. We should. I've been keeping. He's been keeping records for years. Look at, look at O'Reilly. Oh. How would you like to be, how would you like to create a brand new wing for Guinness? You know, we've been going in the beer, we've been, we've been brewing the best beer forever. See, I go into Scottish, it doesn't work. 
But yeah, it just seems weird. Like, I get the Michelin star. Because if you've seen the Michelin man, he is a dis- not-so-distant cousin to the Pil- Pillsbury Doughboy. Wow, I'm, st- I'm stuttering. That, that guy is doughy AF. Definitely knows his food. And that's why I trust the Michelin Man. That's why I trust the star system from the Michelin Man. Yes. Yes, you doughy son of a gun. Tell me, you know, tell me where the best place to eat is. Because I trust you. I'm sure you've eaten at your fair share of places. And you've gotten there reliably due to your, you know, traction, you know. With the tires, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Anyways, but yeah, heavy heavy strawberry would not use. Like, what are you going to use that for now? You can't use it in a jam. I guess he had to keep it just so they could verify it. But he definitely ruined a perfectly good strawberry. I don't know. I wonder when that one's going to be broken because the last one was broken in what 2015. Maybe our next. Story will break that record because our next story is also a world record breaking story because Idaho man says he completed his goal of breaking 52 world records in a single year. Um, yes, this is from NPR, uh, written by Rachel Treisman. Uh, David Rush of Idaho set out to break one of Guinness World's record one uh, Guinness World Record every week of 2021. Uh, that's impressive. Um, but then you also are like, what are these records? That is the natural question. You know, okay, oh my gosh, good for you. 52 records a year. Um, 52 records out of the year. He is the world's fastest juggler, the world's slowest juggler, and has the record for most bowling balls juggled. Um, most consecutive axe j- catches, longest duration of balancing a bicycle on his chin, according to his bio, which he says he's more broken more than 150 records since 2015, and absolutely none of, no one has cared about that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Wow, there is a lot of there's a lot of juggling records. Um, yeah, the, uh, that's impre- okay. It's impressive, 152 world records. But if you're looking at what they are, and I, I mean, hey, first of all, let's let's all you know, good job. But let's and let's also talk about the fact that um, he might be the single most powerful man in America. You know, um, at least <laughs> from a perspective of like you know, foreign. Um, foreign you know, what's what's the word i'm looking for oh my gosh just uh from a foreign perspective because you got all these dictators and i watched it on was it last week tonight who are obsessed absolutely obsessed with breaking these world records and setting like making sure that their country is uh again has the most world records set and by the way uh guinness Guinness being the quote-unquote, you know, de facto arbiter and gatekeeper of the records, you know, often, like, sends someone over, sends a representative, and, you know, um, I guess in these dictators' minds, the 
the um, the more records that have been bo- broken, the more important the country is. Well, congratulations, because this guy has both single-handedly beaten most dictators' uh, records and proven that they don't have to... The, the, most, the more records that you break does not necessarily make you cooler. Um, it... it sometimes makes you sad allegedly like because if you look at this um some of these some of these are just whatever did anybody care fastest time to wrap a person with wrapping paper fastest 100 meters jogging with three objects whilst blindfolded oh yeah that one was on the olympics um fastest 100 meters blindfolded um Wow. Okay. All right. Um, most consecutive acts juggling catches. Um, most. Here's another thing. Okay, and this is I'm. If the mo- fastest hundred meter blindfolded. I, I. Yeah. That that one to me just it's like, really that that we did that one. Most consecutive axe catches, most passes of a beach ball in one minute, most much marshmallows caught in a mouth, marshmallows caught by mouth in one minute, most apples thrown and caught in mouth in one. Oh, ouch! Oh, my teeth. Can you just imagine getting uh, trying to catch an apple in your mouth. No, fastest ten me ten meter balancing. A balloon on the face. So I guess you have to walk ten meters. Ten meters. Uh, balancing a balloon on the face. Farthest distance traveled on an electric unicycle while juggling three objects. Oh, oh, cool. Like, again, you're just like when. Oh man. Most toilet po- paper rolls balanced on the head. Okay. All right. These are things um, no one necessarily cared about. But here's another thing. And, you know, I'm ragging on this, but how does anybody get to caring about anything? You know? How how did we get to caring about a sport where people just run around base paths? You know? And it became, you know, a massive industry. It had to start somewhere. Maybe he's on the cusp of something. Maybe. He's just throwing stuff at the wall and hoping hoping it sticks. Who knows? Maybe instead of the Super Bowl in 50 years, we'll be watching the most Kiwis sliced on a balance board in one minute. I don't think it'll happen, but there's a possibility. Um, do you think he was an only child? Like, and I don't want to. I don't. You know, I'm sure. Again, I'm not. I just. Do we there seems to be a need for attention. I don't know. I'm sure he's a nice guy, and he's he's doing it uh, to raise uh, um, to help kids. And I don't want. I'm not gonna rag on him because, like I said, he's more powerful than most dictators. Um, and uh, he's been promoting STEM for more than a decade. I don't know what STEM is, um, but it seems like STEM is hard. And when a student struggles with science or fails in math at math, uh, they can say, "I'd never be an engineer." Um, 
He wrote, in 2015, I broke my Guinness World Record to create a tangible example for to show folks that if you set your mind to a goal, believe in yourself, and pursue it with passion, you can accomplish nearly anything. Um, going on to break an average of one, one a week, one goal a week, uh, is an extension of that to inspire kids to pursue hard STEM subjects uh, and anyone to pursue anything that's hard. Okay, real quick. Um, did he really pursue anything that's hard? Because, and I, again, I'm not trying to uh, dismiss him, but if nobody's competing in the competition in the in setting that world record, is it really hard to set the best record, or is it a loophole? Which also is a very important lesson you can teach the kids. What? You could work hard. Or, you know, like we could, you could train and try your best and try and set uh, a record in the 100 meter um, or the, you know, the 200 meter um, or whatever. Um, or, or you could, uh, you know, you could cut kiwis on a board fast and no one's doing it so you automatically win <laughs> which again very smart way to gain notoriety think different not necessarily a bad idea you know um i i'm a fan it's i think he's mixing up his goals though his 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 message though he shouldn't say he shouldn't say working hard he should say thinking different and it should be finding the loophole because that's the message you're sending to kids because if you were if it was hard work you know i'm sure it is i'm sure it's organizing stuff um and you know there's there's some work involved but comparatively to uh you know people that train for the nfl or uh you know there's a reason you're not you're not a quarterback you know you know I'm just saying and not everybody's gonna be that <laughs> and there's something to be said about you know losing um, but I think the message here is uh, that you know think different not not necessarily a bad thing you can get recognized for finding a different take on something and I don't think it's about working hard I think it's about looking at the puzzle a little differently and a little more creatively. So, congrats to David Rush of Idaho. Is Idaho the potato state? Or is that Iowa? One of them had the music man. Again, live a very sheltered life here on the West Coast. Oh, man. I'm about done here. I've been, I've been rambling for quite a while now. Um, what is the moral of the story? I guess, um, why set records through hard work when you can simply think different, find a loophole, and guys, make sure uh, you avoid snakes on a plane, I guess. There's tons of morals in this story. I don't know if there's a common theme. But yeah, that's it for me. Guys, thank you so much for listening again. You can listen to, uh, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TV. And uh, Baba Booey, I am out.